Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, streamlining government in Utah, getting to know North Carolina's new cyber lead. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, and learn about the latest news and trends ahead of the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. New York is expanding its shark monitoring efforts along the state's shoreline. Beach communities on Long Island and in New York City are set to receive dozens of new drones for monitoring shark activity along the coast. The monitoring efforts build on a May announcement from the governor that saw the deployment of 10 new drones for the state's Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation. Pennsylvania has a new CIO. Amaya Capellan is the state's new IT lead. She joins the state government after most recently working as a vice president at Comcast. She'll replace Patty Chapman, who had been serving in the interim role since the departure of John McMillan last year. While at Comcast, Capellan was responsible for launching the Xfinity app and its wireless service, Xfinity Mobile. Oklahoma has a new CIO as well. Joe McIntosh will be the state's next IT lead. He replaces Jerry Moore, who had been the state's CIO since 2020. Moore will assume a new role within the state's Office of Management and Enterprise Services as Deputy Director and Chief Transformation Officer. McIntosh brings more than two decades of experience to the role. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Utah is on a mission to streamline and modernize state government. The mandate, which comes from Governor Spencer Cox, means that the state's IT department is on a mission to evaluate and modernize applications, digital services, and IT infrastructure. Utah CIO Alan Fuller tells me how he's doing that in the state. Really excited. We got a lot of projects going on in the state of Utah. We're, we're, uh, all right, we have a new governor. The governor came in two years ago with a really strong mandate to streamline and modernize our state government. And when you say streamline and modernize state government, that often means streamline and modernize your systems, your applications, right? As, lo- as well as your processes. So we're working to streamline and modernize our applications. Uh, our portfolio of applications that we have in the state across the board. And we're also working to, uh, along those lines, tied to that, we're working to modernize our security and access management infrastructure, identity and access management, security, et cetera. And uh, we have a lot of different initiatives in that area. uh, And it's tied to another big initiative that we're doing, which is digital delivery of government services. So we're looking to do a citizen portal, and the citizen portal is um, we want to give every citizen a personalized experience when they come to the state website. So they get to see their information. You know, when they log in, and it should be a secure login, they should get to see here's your driver's license, here's your vehicles when they need to be renewed, your fishing license, your hunting license, uh, all of your data with the state, easy to find, and and we'll bring your data to you. And we want to make it easier and better for people to digitally interact with the state online. So those are a couple of our big initiatives. And, and uh, I would say another big initiative related to that and kind of parallel to it is we're focusing on our customer experience. And we want states, we want every citizen in the state to have uh, an easier, quicker, faster, better relationship with the state. And what does that mean? We'd like to save the citizens of the state a million hours. And uh, how do you save a million hours? Well, we have about a million households. If we can save each household in the state just one hour, 
we can save a lot of people a lot of money. And you know, uh, we have about 76% of our vehicles, uh, vehicle registration renewals are done online today. We'd like to get that over 90%. And if you do go to register your vehicle in person today, which the majority don't, but the ones who do go in person, they have a much better experience because everyone else is doing theirs online. And we have not had to build a new Department of Motor Vehicles building since we rolled that product program out, but the state population has doubled in that time. So we can demonstrate enormous cost savings for the state at the same time as making the experience way better for our, our citizens, for our customers. So those are some of our goals. Yeah. So when you talk about modernizing government applications and, and, and sort of creating that excellent experience for citizens, I mean, what's the thought process like for you as you pick where those those touch points are and, and work directly on those? Yeah, we want to try to pri we want to try to prioritize and do the, you know, fry the biggest fish first, if you will, uh, in terms of where we can really move the needle and make a difference, make an impact to our for our citizens. And so we, we look at the what are the programs that have the highest touch and are the biggest pain and then see if we can work with the process and the tools to make that better. Yeah. yeah. You, you talked about identity and access management. It's an increasingly massive priority for folks across state government. Yeah. Uh, you know, how are you approaching that in Utah and what are some of the things that you're working on? Well, first about? of all, let's set the context a little bit with, uh, we're in an environment where over the last few years during the pandemic, we've seen massive amounts of fraud. Uh, you know, depending on the estimates, anywhere from 100 billion to over 500 billion dollars in fraud and uh you know unemployment the uh, uh the ppp the covid relief uh a lot of different state uh, a lot of different federal programs where money was put through states has resulted in massive amounts of fraud and so we see that fraud and so when you start looking at digital delivery of government services you immediately run into the identity management question right how do we really know who, that this person is who they say they are if we're trying to d deliver a digital service to them and avoid the fraud and also give them a convenient experience? And to this end, you know, we're, we're, we've got a number of different initiatives that we're doing, investments that we're making. But one of, the, one of the big ones is in the area of verifiable digital credentials. And, and when we say verifiable digital credentials, we mean we're moving to digitize uh, systems and processes, but, what, but we really need to be able to offer verifiable government, right, across the board. And so every, every credential that we bring digital, we need to make sure it's verifiable. Now, think about it this way. Um, artificial intelligence, and especially generative AI, is, is now becoming a very uh, big reality. And in the world, of generative AI, it's a real game changer in terms of our uh, identity management. And the ways that we used to do identity management are just not going to work anymore. And, and we're starting into an era of fake versus real. And, and, and if we're doing fake versus real wars, and I think we should call it a war, the ability to really authenticate someone or to verify a credential becomes extremely important. And just recently in, in uh, our most recent legislative session, uh, a, a bill was passed to allow us to do a pilot program with verifiable digital credentials. So we're really excited. It's a first step, a small first step, 
But we're really excited to go out and be able to uh, work through what it takes to do a secure, private, uh, verifiable digital credential. We'll do something small to start with, and then we look forward to expanding the program over time. That's really exciting. So, so I said it at the top, you are indeed a State Secure 50 winner. Uh, you know, what advice do you have for your peers, your colleagues uh, across the CIO community? What advice do you have for aspiring CIOs, uh, people that want to be the next ally? So I would say this, you know, my, uh, I've been a CIO now for just over two years. And uh, my experience has been that the things that helped me to be successful and get to this role are not the things that will help me to be successful in the role. And specifically, the CIO role is very much about being a communicator, being a relationship builder, and being a good strategist. And, and so I would encourage people who are aspiring to be a CIO or becoming a CIO to really focus on, on those areas of, of being able to communicate effectively, being able to uh, build high quality and strong relationships, and building a strategy. And if, if uh, where I am short in those areas, I try to help build a team to help me cover for those. Uh, honestly, at the end of the day, it's going to be all about the team that I build uh, because I'm certainly not going to be able to do everything alone that we as an IT organization need to get done. Alan Fuller, Chief Information Officer for the state of Utah. You can read more about him and modernization at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Coming up later this year from Statescoop, the 2023 IT Modernization Summit. This year's virtual summit takes place on September 19th. You'll hear from the top leaders in state and local government, as well as higher education, on all things digital transformation. Join Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, California CIO Leanna Belli-Crimmins, Massachusetts CIO Jason Snyder, and more than a dozen other top leaders across the community on September 19th for StateScoop's IT Modernization Summit. You can find registration links for the summit in today's show notes and always at statescoop.com. North Carolina has a new state chief risk officer. Tory Crass joins the role. He was previously the chief information security officer for the state's Board of Elections. Crass has led state election security efforts since 2019 and will now fill the vacancy open last year with the retirement of Rob Maine. In the role, Crass will be responsible for shepherding in the next phase of North Carolina's whole-of-state cybersecurity strategy. Crass tells state's groups Benjamin Freed about his outlook on the role and what's next. Well, I, I think the um... The important thing is that it's to to build on good foundations that we've had with some previous leaders in this role. So Maria Thompson uh, and Rob Main both uh, did great things to put some things in motion that I now hopefully get to shepherd forward um, the uh, Joint Cyber Task Force initiative that we have in North Carolina, uh, one that I'm familiar with even through my time at BOE, uh, and I really think that is a fairly unique success story for North Carolina that uh, I would like to see continue to be successful in helping with a whole variety of, of cyber support through the essentially the whole of state approach that has been put forward uh, because it gives us to work at the state level out to the different agencies and, and boards and other entities that we support here. But not only that, but reach out and help at the local level where they have the resources they need. So built on the state 
to really find ways to provide value out and back to uh, to those entities that are, are critical in supporting the constituents in North Carolina. So I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the whole state uh, strategy, because that was my, my very next question. Uh, that's something that uh, Maria uh, Thompson, as you mentioned, really uh, got going and Rob Main uh, continued. So where do you see uh, uh, the where do you, where where do you need to I guess, carry it forward? What's the what's the next phase of that uh, that that you, you old shepherd? So I think the key parts of that are expanding the communication and cooperation at the state level. So there's definitely uh, a, a need to work closer with the other agency leadership to make sure that they have good advice and good awareness of, of cyber issues that affect and impact their agency so they can better prepare and hopefully protect against those and, and reduce whatever that looks like. So I think that is a, a key thing is building those communications to those agencies to uh, to to act as a resource to them when they have questions about what's going on. Uh, so I would love for for one, you know, them to be able to pick up the phone, uh, even me directly, and basically be able to ask about a cyber thing that, and uh, and have a conversation about that. I don't know that. Uh, uh, I I know that happens with Maria and Rob to some extent. I want to carry that forward and I want on that to, to basically partner with they, those agencies know uh, they have support and they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of this is also working uh, with with the, local gov- with the local governments as well. Uh, I know there's a, a pretty strong tie-in with the, um, you know, I, I I, I, I'm not going to try to guess the the precise acronym, but the the association of the, the your association of, of local IT officials. Um, you know, yeah. you've, you've got a strong there's a strong partnership with with that group as well, right? Yeah, there there absolutely is, and I think that is very critical going forward. I've had a big relationship with that group while I was over at Board of Elections. We had uh, interfaced regularly there because of how connected uh, elections is with those communities. And I hope to continue relationship with the Jesus folks uh, going forward uh, both, uh, to, to understand what their concerns are and, and try and figure out ways that we at the state level can help support them at the counties and, and at local levels as well. And to also um, especially share, share information back and forth in terms of uh, risks and threats and uh, things that might be potentially impacting either of us. Because at the end of the day, we're all connected some way in the IT ecosystem. So even though they're, uh, they, they might be at a county level or a local level, they're still utilizing services that roll up to or at some point touch state government services as well. 
So I think we, we need to have those cooperation points uh, to really, really act as a, as a foundation going forward. So I hope my relationship with Nick will continue to be a positive one and work forward and uh, work very positively in the future going forward. Uh, so I actually want to talk a little bit about the, the work you did with the, the, the Board of Elections, um, you know, heading up cybersecurity for, for election in, you know, uh, one of the you know, most, you know, heavily contested states. Uh, North Carolina has a lot of, you know, big, close, uh, closely uh, decided statewide elections, uh, you know, 100, you know, 100, 100 counties. Uh, what were some of the you know the challenges and successes that that you had in your in your years working with the board with the board of elections. Um. Oh man, you think about that for just a second. <laughs> so I, I would say the the biggest biggest success was really getting an opportunity to help them put together a cybersecurity roadmap and implement a lot, a, a, a good technical stack of tools to help reduce the risk that they have. And uh, definitely working with leadership and having the support to do that was, was critical. Without, uh, uh, without leadership that was to look at the risk that was there and support the, from a cybersecurity standpoint, that it would have been a lot more difficult, but we had a great, uh, a great setup there, and I would say the roadmap component was was definitely a highlight. Uh, something that I'm I'm hoping to take some of the best parts of how we approach that and apply those in my new role. Um, and from from a challenges standpoint, I think the biggest one alludes back to the communication where uh, initially, and I'd say we largely overcome this at, at this point, was good communication channels out to the counties and having that support. And I think ties back to the previous question and topic about Nickel Giza, because they were really metal in the corner on that communication for Board of Elections. So I and, and again, looking forward to that that reason, even in this role. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of working, this also you know ties into working working with uh, you know, the uh, working with with the counties, working with the local governments. Uh, I imagine you are now probably in the throes of of of, of sorting out uh, the federal grant program. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact. That is starting up again, so I'm working on getting up to speed on that. Actually, at this point, so I haven't yet had the uh, had the opportunity to sit down and and really read through the whole thing. I uh, my new team has been instrumental in supporting that in in working uh, with the different stakeholders for that going forward, and we're definitely looking uh, forward to next year and. And trying to trying to use whatever we can resource wise uh, from what we get from from the grant funds 
uh, out. I, I believe there's a lot of a lot of potential for uh, solid funding for different initiatives and different projects, especially at the county level. So I, I imagine this is uh, certainly going to benefit the counties pretty heavily. Uh, that that is our hope. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned it when we were talking about you know, the, the the board of elections. You, you mentioned the, the the roadmap you set up there. Uh, what's 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 on the what's on that roadmap that you think uh, can transfer will, will be able you know can transfer over to whether it's uh, you know, you know uh, statewide agencies or uh, you know working with working with local governments. What what are some of the components of that roadmap that that you want to uh, replicate? So, so I think I think the key parts are how to build it out and how to get one that's effective for the entity that whoever is using it be working with. So, in from a best practices standpoint, it's always trying to go back to industry best practice. So, in where we don't have to create a new bill to do something, we we probably shouldn't. <laughs> because there's a lot of smart people out there with a lot of and uh, finding ones that are good fit for the organization going forward. So one of those is using this cybersecurity framework and the tooling that goes around that to uh, capture and quantify things like uh, if there are any, any places where we could mature the security program, and then once you identify where you can mature the security program, then that's something that goes into your roadmap, and you identify at that point either people, process, or technology, whatever it ends up looking like, to actually take that step to the maturity level that you're looking at. And the value of using that particular tool is, while there is some effort that goes into it compared to some other approaches. It tends to be a quicker turnaround and a little bit less overhead to get some some value back out of it. And of course, you also have the the uh, vigilant cyber task force uh, at uh, at the ready. Uh, you know they, they, that that entity's gotten a bigger role to play uh, over the past uh, year or two. Um, you know, are they? Is that going to be? Uh, do you, do you see that uh, program as being uh, something that'll be pretty active? I I see it as being critical going forward, uh, and it's a very important partnership for uh, everyone from the state to counties to local government because it's a, a a way for anyone who happens to be impacted by a cyber event or. They don't even necessarily have to be impacted. They, they, even if they think they've been impacted by an event, they can pick up the phone, have some place to call with trusted cybersecurity experts who really do have experience and who really do have a knowledge set where they can come in and actually help in these situations uh, with government space to be properly support them with whatever needs they need. Speaking of cyber events, I mean, right now we have organizations all over, you know, really all over the world, private sector, public sector, trying to, you know, uh, figure out 
the, the uh, figure out how, how how great their exposure is to this uh, this move it vulnerability. Uh, have, is that something you you've been dealing with? Uh, we've been tracking it extremely closely. Uh, it's something that I <laughs> at this point it's almost sad to say I wake up with uh, in the morning to see what's happening in that space, and often I'm I'm uh, uh, take what that looks like before I'm turning in for the night. And uh, thankfully, things are things are okay on our side at this point, but there's a healthy recognition that there's been a lot back from that vulnerability. So even though we feel comfortable with what we have so far, that doesn't mean we get the letter down, and it doesn't mean that we're dropping any business around it whatsoever. Uh, because uh, there are a lot of folks who have used that platform and used that tool uh, across the board, not necessarily speaking within North Carolina, but in general. So you have all, like the same situation with Log4j, where there are service providers who have been using the tool. So while we think we have a good handle on on uh, on that vulnerability. Wondering for any related to it, it's very difficult to be able to know that 100%. Troy Cross, the Chief Risk Officer for the state of North Carolina. You can read more about him in cybersecurity at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher helps put it together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.